Hello everyone and welcome. We've got another exciting spotlight interview for the Deconstructor of Fun audience. Um, this week, very exciting, we have two of our treasured community members, Javier Barnes and Annette Steloy, who uh, are frequent uh, contributors on the Slack and on the newsletter and blog. And uh, they have a new post-mortem out of the new of uh, Clash Quest. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Clash Quest is uh, one of Supercell's games that's been in soft launch for 16 months, and they've recently announced um, that it isn't hitting its metrics targets, and they'll be shutting it down. And uh, I haven't had access to it uh, in in the U.S., but uh, Javier and Annette have have been playing and are here to give us their thoughts, kind of a companion uh, to the postmortem. Uh, that'll go out if it's not already in in the newsletter and on the blog. In today's global gaming marketplace, your players want to pay how they want, when they want, and where they want. Accepting localized forms of payments and keeping up with what's trending is key to growing your gaming business and to finding new untapped markets. That's where Exola Payments comes in. With just one simple integration, you'll be connected to over 700 localized preferred payment methods on a global scale, including bank cards, digital wallets, mobile payments, cash kiosks, gift cards, special offers, and more. Plus, with Excel acting as your merchant of record, they assume the risk of cost of complex VATs, sales taxes, laws, and regulations. Leave every transaction to the experts while you focus on retaining and expanding your audience. You can get started today. Just head over to exola.pro slash paystation or look for the link in the description of this episode. Exola Payments, it's what your gaming business needs to succeed. I, of course, am your host, Ethan Levy, a gamer in residence at uh, Connect Ventures and uh, podcaster extraordinaire. And uh, Javier and Annette, why don't you each uh, take a moment and introduce yourselves and a little bit about your background in game development. You want to go first? Annette? Annette, can you go first, please? Oh. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm Annette. I've been in the games industry for uh, seven uh, years now. I joined a studio based in Norway. It's called Dirty Bit, and we work on social multi multiplayer games. Um, so my in my role, I'm the CMO. Uh, so I cover everything in terms of marketing and uh, and um, business development. And I'm also supporting the teams, uh, both our teams that are have a game in live ops and also new development. So any type of business operations, ad monetization uh, on the on the mediation platform side and partners and, and such. Uh, and uh, in this case, I've been an active player of Clash Quest since it was uh, launched in uh, soft launch in uh, the Nordic countries last year. Great. And Javier, I feel like, I mean, this is our second podcast we've done together this week. I could probably give your intro, but it'll be better if I let yeah. you do. I mean, before introducing myself, uh, I, I just wanted to um, mention that like the newsletter and the blog, we also worked with uh, Laura Taranto and like she was amazing on, oh, yes. on so insightful on, on a bunch of stuff. She couldn't make it sadly to this podcast, but um, yeah, uh, we're actually a hive mind of, of three minds. Um, 
Thank you. Thank you for I, that. Um, uh, that escaped my mind. Thank you for mentioning that because um, I didn't want to. Didn't mean <laughs> to slight her uh, for her contributions on the on the uh, postmodern. Um, but yeah, I guess that a lot of the audience already knows me because I've been working for quite a while in the uh, blog. I've been in the industry for about ten years. My background is on game design and game economy design in particular. Uh, but more recently, I'm uh, trying out with uh, product management. Um, and yeah, that's a bit who I am. <laughs> you're, you're going over to the dark side. I think I, I think I avoided ever having product manager as, as my job title, but I mean, it's, it's pretty blurry. Like if you're doing pop-ups and events and design documents and, and spreadsheets, it kind of doesn't, doesn't matter what you call yourself. Um, all right. Anyways, uh, uh, for those who don't know, uh, can you guys give us a little bit of some background? I mean, I think a lot of listeners will know, but uh, we know something. It, you know, they're pretty public supercell about what their strategy is around killing games and and that they kill a lot internally and they have a little, um, a really high bar. So can you tell us, I know obviously none of us work at Supercell, but what we know from public statements about what their strategy is around um, killing games and what, you know, what Supercell is looking for in a game that goes worldwide. I can take this over if you want, Annette. Um, yes. Number one fanboy for yeah, Supercell, sure. uh, I can say. Um, so for those unfamiliar with uh, their criterias and their uh, philosophy, I think that there is a GDC talk available on YouTube called Quality is Worth Killing For um, that basically explain it, but a uh, high-level summary. Um, uh, they have been very focused on um, killing, as they say, the games that do not meet the metrics. Um, interestingly, on and actually uh, in the article, um, people can find um, mentions to, to directly the, the texts that, that they added. The developers in the Clash Quest Reddit went long on the reasons why uh, the game... Um, uh, was going to be discontinued and one of the points that are critical um, is retention actually um, mm -hmm. we can only wonder what the retention of this game is and what the retention targets they that supercell had for this game were but um, uh, based on what we know about about supercell um, i would say that retention is one of the key metrics um, and once they have achieved like great retention, um, monetization is, is kind of um, something more achievable. No? But if the game has bad retention, then even if, if uh, you can generate money out of the players that, that get in, uh, it's very difficult to, to scale the game. Um, and that has been pretty much the explanation. Again, I, I sent people yeah. to the GDC talk uh, if they are interested into knowing more about that, because they go length on what do they look in a new game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the sh the the short shortest possible version is they're trying to make games that make a billion dollars a year, right? And that's an extremely uh, high bar, one I haven't even come close to with the games that I've worked on. And so they kill a lot of games in prototype stage or internally. I I think for every game that 
actually goes to soft launch out of Supercell, there's probably like 20 dead prototypes somewhere. Um, and just personally, I've, I've never, um, been able to work with that type of approach and I really admire it. Um, I've been on many games that feel like they went way too long in the tooth, um, that, you know, the resources would have been better spent prototyping new things, um, trying out 20 things instead of, uh, digging in with just one for years and years. So, um, you know, you have to have a really big bankroll to uh, support a strategy like this, but I think the the quality of, of the results speak for themselves um, with uh, all the live yeah, Supercell I, games. Yeah, I just also wanted to add that they they were since since the the launch the soft launch of the the game, um, their community managers they have been very open about also the state of you know this is a game in in beta. I think the, that was the wording that they used and that uh, they keep this game to the highest standards as with other, uh, in this case, Clash games as well. So being very careful with communication, saying like this potential game and the game might not be launched in your country. So yeah, they have been very clear about that from the start to, I think, um, manage the expectations of the community yeah, as well. I think, you know, as, as, a, as a company and, and as, you know, creative individuals, it's really um, challenging to, to put ourselves out in that sort of very vulnerable position of saying, this is a thing, we think it might be great, but it might also not be great. So, you know, I, 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 it's, it's hard for an individual or for a company to admit that something isn't up to their standards and, and let it go. And um, uh, really, you know, a, a game that's not up to Supercell standards might be up, up to other companies' standards. I'm sure that plenty of other companies, if they saw the metrics behind Clash Quest, probably would go, you're crazy, uh, let my Ethans and my Javiers at them, and we'll monetize this thing, <laughs> and we'll be pretty happy with a game that does $70 million yeah. a year, you know? Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, I think they also said in the first uh, round of communications that they had that they usually don't talk about the game at this early stage in development, but they really wanted to have feedback mm -hmm. from the players as well. And um, and since this also was was a, um, in the Clash uh, universe, they they were also careful about communication for the existing players that. No, this is a different type of game. You might not like it, and that's okay. We're fine with that. And uh, also, already then managing the risk of um, potential players uh, in the existing Clash games being scared that this might affect the existing games. So they were saying that these are the game team is completely different. Uh, development of this game will not affect the support and development of existing uh, Clash games as well. So. Got it. And and before yeah. we go into the specifics of Clash Quest itself, I, I know in the article um, you three talked about some of the previous attempts Supercell's made publicly um, at the puzzle category. Uh, what are some of these uh, games that have also been taken a soft launch and, and didn't hit worldwide? And um, did, did you play any of them? Um, I think, uh, actually, if you take in... in um... A perspective over time no, of the of the different attempts that they have done of the at the opportunity it 
shows a very interesting pattern no? in the sense that um, uh, first they have done several attempts at the same opportunity while uh, I've been working in this environment where you try to prototype, acquire good enough KPIs and like um, when a game is cancelled, the team is always like dem demotivated, it's a very a strong shock and you're often tempted to go for something completely different right because the the mm -hmm. uh, garden looks greener and maybe another part um but here what we see is that they identified an opportunity um they have done several attempts on it and whenever one attempt doesn't meet the objective they, they work on on another one i wouldn't say it's entirely continuistic the line i think they are continuistic in the mm pursuing the opportunity and for sure there are learnings that have been accumulated uh, but mm, the specific angle how they have been attacking the puzzle genre has been different every time and I find that quite interesting so um, among the list of games that they tried have been like it's been um, uh, Smashland Smashland had very unique gameplay with um, that was somewhat similar to the gameplay of Monster Strike. So this, right? That was yeah, the exactly. pinball style, uh, pull, pull and release kind of Bakugan RPG yeah. game. Yeah, and um, then they went with Spooky Pop. Spooky Pop is probably the one that is more closer to this one, although very different. But uh, it also had like a blast mechanic, like Clash Quest, uh, and more. Spooky Pop was a match three RPG. Was it match right? three or was it or Blast like a, though? Or, well, either I don't act, so, but it was. Yeah, yeah, it was it, a yes. Gems on was... the bottom, RPG on the top. I mean, just to the, to the point of um, a game that doesn't work for Supercell might be fertile ground for other companies. Um, when I joined Network, Legendary was already you know in kind of early production, and Spooky Pop. Uh, was one of the games they were uh, comping after, right? And uh, the progressive match or the progressive matching of Spooky Pop. And uh, I don't think I ever played it. It might have been shut down already by then. But uh, Spooky Pop was not a game that met the Supercell criteria, but it's one we used for inspiration on Legendary. And, you know, the public figure from the one I'm allowed to talk about, 2019, they said Legendary did $250 million in revenue. And so that might not be enough for Supercell, but it was certainly enough for us. We were very happy um, with that level of success. So to, to um, be fair, you know, if you're listening to this, you might want to dig dig up some of the videos of uh, of Clash Quest and see what you can. To be steal. fair, we we actually uh, talk about Legendary in the article. Um, oh. And uh, I mean, there, I think there is a factor of like Supercell pursues unicorns, and not every game is is a uh -huh. unicorn. And as you said, there are. Yeah. Companies that would be happy with games that Supercell think that uh, do not meet the standard, but also on the specific decisions, I would uh, maybe argue, and in the article we go in deeper, I'm sure that in the rest of the podcast we will. Um, I don't know, that maybe some of some of the decisions, actually, it was not that it was in a billion game, but also it limited um, the performance compared to games like Legendary. You know? Uh, and well, coming coming mm. back to the um, attempts of Supercell in Puzzle, the last attempt was Heyday Pop. Hey, this being probably mm. the more um, similar to the market standards, 
so they had something similar to a saga map although with unique mechanics uh, because the saga map uh, had a reset uh, on a seasonal basis uh, but that one was more targeting like the casual audience it had dropped uh, the RPG elements and, and so on and this actually makes Clash Quest interesting no? because it, it's a step it's somewhat different from any other attempt that they had done before uh, no, so the gameplay was not as unique as maybe Smash uh, Smashland uh, there were deeper uh, great components that Spooky Pop and the focus was not as casual as Heyday Pop so each specific angle mm -hmm. is like they are looking for the uh, crack in the stone where they can enter and and, and find a, a successful spot in the market. Got it. Um, so for those like me who haven't played, uh, could you describe the gameplay of Clash Quest? Yeah, uh, we can do this, uh, both, both of us together, I think, we could, because we've both been uh, playing. Uh, we've categorized it as blast-based mid-core puzzle game and uh, w with the some RPG components. So uh, if you read the article, you can see some screenshots both from the early gameplay and uh, the, how it looked after um, after the big change that I did uh, recently. And for Clash, existing Clash players, they would recognize the, the characters, Giant, Goblin, the baby dragon and the different types of um, of the characters, the heroes. Uh, so you have sort of like a saga-based map. You have some islands and levels within these islands, and you uh, fight enemies on the top of the screen. Uh, you have different types of units located uh, on the bottom part of the uh, your screen, and then you tap. Um, like a blast game and the more of the same type of uh, character you have the better the the power you have and then you have uh, reinforcement reinforcements coming in and then it's yeah you have to defeat the um, all of the levels um, before you can uh, um, move on and and there was a big change here so in the in the first and early version you collected stars. So if I remember correctly, it was between one to three stars per um, per level um, on the island. And you could progress to the next level as long as you had uh, at least some of the stars. And then an amount of stars would open crates and then allow you to move on to, to new islands. So we will probably come back to a bit how it looked after the um, the big change. In the first version, you were limited by energy. So you would have a cap of 12 uh, quest energy that would refill. Uh, and then you could, of course, you could purchase uh, more energy or you could earn, um, earn more energy during the gameplay. Um, yeah, and then you had, your, you had your friendly units, you had some spells and tactics different types of books that would, for example, um, use all the, say, all the giants in the, that you had lined up, regardless of how they were uh, mixed together. Um, would it be fair to, to categorize yeah. this gameplay as kind of Toon Blast on the bottom and Clash Royale on the top? <laughs> Do I have that kind of right? 
it's not it's not necessarily a bad definition in my opinion it actually highlights something that is interesting about about this no which is that look at the two examples that you put no it's like tomb blast so a very mm -hmm. casual puzzle game uh, yeah. but then clash royale which is a hardcore um uh, tactical ccg and i think that this highlights a little bit um what's quite unique about this game quite unique if we don't take in account legend of solgar no because legend of solgar it's kind of reminiscent the gameplay is kind of reminiscent of course that there are difference mm -hmm. there are differences between both games um but they are they both have something in, in some uh, in common that it's a bit atypical in the puzzle category as a, as a whole no in puzzle category the clusters of games seem to be located in two main positions uh one is the casual puzzles where the focus is on completing levels um, and these are primarily oriented to providing lighter experiences, often target audiences that are not familiar with uh, games they would not that would not consider themselves gamers. Um, mm -hmm. And then we have games like Legendary uh, and other uh, puzzle RPGs where state of yeah, survival, state of survival and, puzzle and, and empire where uh, the puzzle what we would consider the puzzle element is kind of shallower and uh, I mean there's some degree of it but the focus is not on that much on on the um, uh, puzzle mechanics or the puzzle engine and it's more about collection and upgrading systems that exist around the or outside of that uh, puzzle system in that mm -hmm. regard both Legend of Solgard and Clash Quest are very interesting because it has this RPG element that is uh, grades, co collectibles, he heroes that you can unlock, um, side grades that you need to choose in order to right. customize orthogonal behaviors on the unit. So it's quite hardcore-ish in that regard, but the focus is not that much on collection and upgrading, it's more on solving the levels and, and the specifics of those units mm. in, the, in their orthogonal behaviors in the puzzle engine. And this kind of puts the game mm. in a positioning that um, it's a bit, it's empty, <laughs> right? That there are not, there are not a lot of games right. that target that. And uh, it actually, we think it may be one of the factors that have led to uh, the fact that the results did not meet the, the expectations. Got it. So when you're... Also okay. the, oh, sorry. I, uh, I just wanted to add that the, the units uh, that you can use in each of the levels are preset. So regardless of how many you have uh, uh, unlocked and how much you've un uh, leveled them up, you cannot choose yourself the troops that you're Got using it. for the specific level. So that's already been uh, preset. Got it. So I'll, I'll go with you know I'll, uh, the game I obviously know the best because I worked on it for a couple of years which is in, in Legendary, um, the metagame systems around collection and upgrading, that's where your the stickiness of the game is and the progression and, and all the monetization is is about that um, RPG progress and, and assembling the best collection and strategies around team use in, in the events and, and uh, uh, quest, uh, so guild collaboration. And um, the bottom half, the puzzle half, it's really, it, we would talk about it like it's the game controller, right? You know, heavily inspired by, um, 
uh, puzzling dragons, you know, it doesn't it doesn't change that much. There aren't puzzles inside of it, or you know, a heavy reliance on different types of of gems, or uh, it's really just about how best and how quickly you can deal the most damage with your um, with the deck that you've created. And here it sounds like there are more puzzle solving elements, more like you might see in a tomb blast. Is is that right? Yeah, I would completely agree with with uh, that definition. In fact, if you are, unless you are like significantly upgraded, and even then, uh, if you do, if you don't perform on the puzzle, you won't complete the level. Uh, but on the other, and, and then it's also the other way around. If you're are very skilled in the puzzle element, you may be able to overcome some differences in the levels. But if you're not upgraded, um, you will not comp- there's a point where even with a lot of skill you don't complete it so uh, interesting the when we analyze in the article the the gameplay we go a little bit more in depth on that but like there are these three elements of luck uh, because the the player has very limited board manipulation capacities so the luck is super important mm-hmm. um, skill there's an element of skill in particular on how to maximize the orthogonal behaviors of the of the characters and then another layer of, of upgrades no? so it's kind of weird because you really cannot find that many games in the market that focus on the three elements in the same at the same time it's usually more like mm-hmm. either lack and skill or um more the upgrade or meta elements that that give you the the progression no? yeah the, the fact that the, here the three elements work at the same time and there is a strong a strong focus in the game in, in the three of them. It's pretty unique. Not necessarily good, but unique. How, yeah. How does how does the upgrade the the progression of your characters influence your performance inside of a puzzle? Um. Yeah, they, they um, yeah they get they get stronger um, when you upgrade. Uh, in the first version um, of the, the game, the characters had, uh, I think it was called gears or items. So they there were three different slots on the character. It could be a weapon or a robe, for, for example, for the for the wizard. So that you could, if you kind of wanted to go a bit hardcore in, into it, you could uh, select the um, customize the character depending on the level. So if you were, for example, fighting a boss. Um, and you could see how many of the different characters you would get to use uh, in the in the in the fight. Then you could, for example, change to a different type of robe so that you would set fire that would kind of damage for each turn. Uh, so there was this element where you could kind of make a strategy and do some changes if it was difficult to um, to uh, yeah to clear the level or to to fight the boss got it yeah i can just describing it i can kind of picture how difficult it would be to almost um find the game's identity or find the find the right fit for the audience um it almost seems like they wanted to make a easy to pick up and play casual puzzle game but then they also wanted kind of deep rpg um 
choices in it and those are two different different player types i mean i enjoy both those different types of games but when i want to play toon blast and when i want to play the last mass effect legendary remaster my my brain is in a much different place even though i'm the same person that plays both those games and sort of like i want some elements in some games and some in another that's really interesting um how does uh how did this game leverage the the clash ip and and annette is kind of a marketing um uh expert do you think that the clash brand was additive here subtractive or, or neutral to the game's performance I think you know, knowing how difficult it is to to create and build uh, a new IP, I think it makes totally sense to to leverage um, the IP in this game. And I think for existing players who know the Clash universe, um, they would of course recognize the the characters here. Um, I have some coworkers as well that we were playing a lot together in the beginning, and they have been playing a lot more of the, the other Clash games than I have myself, for example. So uh, we, we did discuss that quite a bit. And um, they, I think towards the end of the development here, they added some more narrative to the, the game as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, Javier, what, what's your thought on the IP here? Hmm. I think this How is interesting or... if we take into account the whole trip of the soft launch which we have analyzed it like it's not yeah. only or, or the postmortem is not only about um why we think the results were happened and so on but also analyzes the rot that led to the eventual um uh decision to discontinue the game and i think that the ip may make sense at some points of the on one in some of the early directions and maybe not that much on the final directions no um to not tease anymore at the beginning uh the at the beginning of the of the game the first in, uh releases seem to push and the communications from the um developers seems that they wanted to push the game more towards more strategy focus more rpg uh elements so it was getting hardcore uh, and then at the end of the uh, soft launch, they kind of twisted it and in, in the opposite direction, and they tried to go more casual. Um, I think the IP on the first uh, period probably made a little bit more sense, because uh, if we're talking about a puzzle RPG with elements of strategy and so on, that's an audience that is closer to the audience of other uh, Clash IP games. And... Uh, to be like I, I personally I loved uh, Solgar, but, but if the game probably wouldn't have been Clash based, or I would have probably not not played it. I just have just have seen it like oh, here's a cool thing similar to to Solgar. So I think at the beginning the IP was kind of powerful. It, it surely brought a lot of players, maybe players that were exp. exp a more hardcore experience or maybe more competitive experience mm -hmm. but um, at least somewhat related but then if we talk about the more casual 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 uh, segment of the audience I'm not really sure on what was the value because if you look at the pictures even right. though the clash IP it's very ma mainstream right like it's not 
it doesn't look as hardcore as legendary we're talking about legendary a lot yeah it looks very um, pixar so it's, it's kind of know, appro- approachable family friendly yeah exactly to me it seems yeah. like a little bit like world of warcraftish in that in that regard in the sense that it's not it's not or it has a wide range of of appeal but if we're talking about casual casual uh, so the type of players that play homescapes royal match if that maybe they did, they were not aware of the ip at all if you look at the screenshot what mm-hmm. you see is shorts some like i think that those players would probably see skeletons. like oh this is rpg-ish is not relatable to maybe my interests or or probably other themes at least at least judging on uh what type of themes populate that cluster of of the market um are, are different no and for, for casual i think it probably looked too hardcore-ish um but it, it's all it, it's also that the game itself was probably too hardcore-ish for that audience as well right right so it sounds it sounds like probably when they first released it there was a, a pretty good marriage of the intellectual property the expectations of, of the brand and the gameplay and perhaps um in soft launches the metrics were not hitting the targets they had set they thought about well maybe it's because it's too much of like a clash sim with match on it and they went in the other direction and so then even though the um brand didn't necessarily fit they were trying to see if if uh if uh it would boost retention to where it needed to be and and uh with the combination of gameplay changes and it didn't seem to um achieve those goals to add a little bit sorry uh, to add a little about... bit for for yeah, from uh to that another of the problems and i think it's a big problem that um i wouldn't say it transforms the, the ip in a handicap but it removes a lot of its positive effects is that in puzzle category the cpis are so high that an ip doesn't change the picture so um what this means is that in other clash games because of the genres that they target and so on there's a lot of brand and content content creator marketing and supercell has boosted that by think doing things like having a close relationship with content creators being allowing that uh, players can donate an amount of the money that they spend in the game to content creators which of course incentivizes content creators um and in this game uh or in this genre that those those effects are much more limited no here in this game Mm -hmm. the cpi versus lifetime value roas math it's way more critical because there are big players there spending a lot of money the cpis are really really big so brand marketing is is very limited no and that means that even if the ip maybe even in the worst uh, sorry in the best case no imagine that softens a little bit the cpi you still need a huge lifetime value in order to be able to compete it's maybe different from perhaps another genre where the ip can really affect uh, or can really bring massive amounts of downloads right and and to that point what was the monetization strategy in clash quest how did it uh, monetize yeah, it, it's yeah, purely in a purchase, um, and again, there were some changes in the beginning because it was first driven by energy, so that you could um, purchase different types of packs, um, coins, gems, and energy tokens. Um, in the later version, where they 
reset progression and revamped the um, progression in the in the in the game main gameplay. Um, they went from energy restrictions to more lives. You had different. You had an amount of lives per per game. So it changed a bit. Um, to upgrade the characters, you were collecting elixir, uh, which you could also purchase. So uh, in the in the store, there would be daily offers where you could get some for free. So I guess to get people to go and check and click and get the satisfaction of, you know, seeing what's behind um, whatever offer. I think there were six different slots in the in the store. So there would typically be, for example, Elixir for the um, um, the giant, um, and then that would maybe be there would be some slots that were cheap with coins, and then um, at some point it was getting more and more expensive with with gems. Uh, so perhaps you would wait until the the offers rotated. Um, yeah, I, I think so, yeah. in that regard. Because when we talk about monetization, we're talking about my field. Uh, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Something that I found quite interesting is that during the uh, soft launch, they did release several um, features that should have affected monetization. So they added a new grade system, a new type of booster. They, with every update, they expanded the roster of available boosters and so on. So that, there were a lot of things that were released that should have moved the re revenue or the revenue per download. And what is interesting is that the revenue per download remained flat and the revenue didn't fluctuate that much. In fact, the main fluctuation uh, that they achieved was when they revamped and kind of smoothened a lot of the systems at the very end. So they actually damaged their, their monetization when they smoothened mm -hmm. it a lot of. So the mechanics were doing some effect, but I think that the so I've thought quite a, a bit on why this was not moving the, the the indicators because what I would expect is if you release more purchasable content, content you increase monetization. Even if the monetization of the game is not very powerful, it should affect, right? And I, I think there may be two main reasons. No? Like one is that there were there were a lot of downloads at the very beginning, so I think that they either the brand brought a lot of audience at the beginning or um, they maybe invested heavily on UA at the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. And what I think is that probably what this means is that retention was not very good. So even if they were releasing, they were increasing the content, the problem was that none of those early downloads were, or not a lot of the, the downloads were reaching later stages of the, of the progression where they would be... Um, permeable to the monetization changes and the expansions of content. So I, I think that they were right, not so. yet in the point where they were really testing monetization, because I think that the previous step that mm -hmm. should have enabled a big enough population to monetize was not achieved. Got it. Did it have... Yeah, there, were, there were some... There were some... Um, but not that much, if I remember correctly. Some offers in between. Um, from what I remember as a you know engaged player here, I do remember that the the purchases that I did was usually only the heavily discounted offers because it was quite quite expensive. Um, it was quite expensive to 
yeah to if you were just going to purchase yeah. an upgrade i don't know if they tested different price points i didn't notice that if the um, units that you use were dictated by the level you played on, um, then probably there's not as much, I'm guessing, again, because I didn't play, that there's not as much motivation as a player to open gotcha, right? To open crates for upgrade cards um, because you're not setting a goal for yourself of having... Uh, a team or a deck that you most enjoy playing with and wanting to most upgrade those cards, you actually have to play the whole field uh, of them. And so you don't have that um, that chase for a specific character that you're trying to upgrade um, to make the next evolution of your deck. Does that re resonate with either of you? This is, you know, I'm trying to I mean, guess from what I'm picturing. You want to go on it or...? <laughs> Yeah, I, I can start at least from, uh, um, well, to me it was you know, clearly a motivation to unlock everything because you could see uh, what types of uh, characters you had and which you hadn't unlocked yet. In the early version, you could unlock these characters in crates uh, and the crates were available also as you progress. So. Um, there were, for, for example, there was a small island where there was a crate, and you knew that that crate could uh, contain one of the new characters, and then you needed to collect as many stars um, to to open that crate. So, um, yeah, what do you want to say? What did you want to say, Javier? Uh, a bit in the same line as you. I, I don't think that collection was a big motivating yeah. factor. Um, there were not that many amount of units to start with, um, and um, this the, the fact that you could not choose also meant that um, um, you only wanted, to, I mean, you wanted the entire collection, but you needed it. So the game could not afford to have something rare that it's very difficult to obtain, and mm -hmm. because the range was very limited that you could use in the level and the focus was that much on what they did in the board they didn't have addition side mechanics that maybe could have incentivized the players to have bigger rosters of units like evo fusion systems or i don't know systems that would allow you to i don't know create one team and put it to defend your fortress right and you're not using it like those sorts yeah. of mechanics were blocked by this design decision um uh, and there, there was also the thing that probably creating new units in this game was extremely difficult because the units had so much orthogonal behavior with like physical inboard different differentiated behaviors that it probably was much more difficult to create a, a unit on this game than how difficult it is to create a unit in maybe a puzzle rpg where a lot of the behaviors are abstracted to uh, i don't know uh, percentage, percentage incrementators or like just bigger stats and and stuff like that yeah yeah it sounds i mean the the impression that i'm getting is that of a game that innovated in too many directions at the same time it is it, and didn't have like a kind of cohesive um template that it was pulling from and i know that you know, what I just said probably sounds like not the way to make an innovative world changing supercell game, but or it's, um, you know, it's, 
you don't know it 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 didn't sound very cohesive and, and the thing i think about um you know i play a lot of um uh, uh auto battle hero collector games and in those games the progression systems are both monetization and retention features right when i the reason i feel motivated to play afk arena every day and kind of use all of my attempts in all of the modes and complete all the daily quests and weekly quests is so I'm I'm motivated because I want my team to get better and even if I'm a free player if I do all these activities every day I have the best chance at getting the gems that I need to open the card packs so that I can hopefully upgrade the heroes I'm trying to add to my deck or that I'm trying to build towards kind of this perfect long-term deck and so that both is a thing that motivates me to spend on something like a new gotcha pack or a battle pass to get a bunch of uh, gems to open a bunch of gotcha packs. But it also just motivates me to open up the app every day, right? And that's actually, you know, even similar on Survivor.io right now. Even though I'm not going to spend, I want to show up and use all my energy and play all my daily quests and do all the things so that I can make that progress each day. And so it sounds like this kind of muddy, you know, not being able to release a lot of characters, needing every player to use every character, not having rare or highly desirable characters that are hard to get. Um, these aren't just monetization features. They're actually um, retention features as well, you know, player motivation. I, I personally, I mean, I, I think a lot has to do with what the innovation is no, and, and what what from innovation brings value and what from innovation doesn't. Um, we talk a little bit uh, on that topic, but like the key here, it's, it's product market, the product and market fit. No? Um, uh, mm -hmm. For example, I, I remember at, back at Gameloft, we released a puzzle game that had diagonal movement on the board and that was an innovation, but it was not positive for mm -hmm. the game because it made that that increased so much the amount of possible permutations that the or possible combinations that the player could achieve that made the levels either trivial or way too difficult because they were the right? right so it was an innovation but it didn't provide value to the audience uh homescapes also innovated they provided a meta layer on top of uh on the on top of the puzzle but that innovation did provide value because if you think about the audience a lot Probably the target audience of homescapes, they are also consumers of histories in other formats, like maybe TV shows uh, and, and reality mm. shows and, and, and stuff like that. So not probably not every innovation makes sense because it has or is positive in the sense that uh, they, they need to resonate with the audience. No? And the tragedy of yeah. this game is that it's a really good game. Like Anit was playing, uh, right. playing it every single day. She would, like, we have been, we have to remove like uh, love letter, entire love letter letters about the game that that she wrote because she really loved the game. And, and this will be a new podcast segment. Just send them to me, and I'll read yeah. them. I'll <laughs> love put on, letters. I'll put on soft music and be like, "Dear Clash." My point is, it, it, let me tell you about <laughs> level seventeen. I love you, level and 17. It, anyway, <laughs> uh, like my, my point is that it it is a really good game. It is a fun game for its audience. The problem is that probably that audience doesn't exist in a big enough size to be a scalable game. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, 
that audience is probably already been targeted by more generalistic, the other generalistic games mm -hmm. through their aggressive UA. So even if that audience exists, hey. it's already in other games. Yeah. And that makes it very, very yeah, difficult to scale um, for yeah. this game. This is um, a, a mistake I've made many times in, in my career is bringing the wrong innovation to a game because I, I play a lot of genres and I'm always looking for new, exciting things. And I'm such a dork and a game design historian and student that like... Um, I can, I, I, there are many times I've overcomplicated things or brought something that was really interesting in a German board game, but might, might not be right for the audience that I'm building for. It's uh, very familiar to me. Um, yeah, we did, as Javier said, we, we do discuss a bit in the article as well. If it kind of, it's the game falls in between some, some categories as well. Um, I clearly fell into the category that really liked the game, as you said. I was playing all the way until the end, and in, in, before they did the the big um, the big uh, update in in June this year, um, I had maxed out all the all the characters, the the, the trick tricks and all, and I was still finding myself going into the game um, to see if there were new levels, new islands. Um, and also they did, they had this shipwreck since it was energy restricted and it was capped at 12. So I had earned back the energy, but I couldn't use it because I already kind of finished all the levels, but then you could throw all your, all your tokens at the shipwreck and kind of see what comes out of it. It could be, usually it was just coins, but it could be something cool there as well. So, um... Uh, this was this uh, was changed in the since they removed the energy restriction, uh, but I think what I really liked about it was that um, I could play in, and to me personally, I didn't feel the you know I know many people were a bit annoyed with not being able to select the troops. To me, I I never cared that much about it because uh, it just meant that I had to figure out how I could best utilize the the troops to to uh, beat the level, and especially with um, using the different weapons or the, the, the clothing that you could have um, that would help you in one way or uh, another. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was a fun so, game. Yeah, so, uh, speaking, <laughs> speaking of your love letters and, and that this was a good game, what went well? What were the things, um, the parts of Clash Quest that you found inspiring and enjoyable as a player that you might take with you to other games? Yeah, first of all, when it was released, you know, it's always fun to, when there is a new game released, and we talk about it at work, of course, with friends at home, um, we do have a, in our weekly team meetings at work, we have this kind of recommendation part if we played any cool games and um, several of us started playing. And I, what I do remember as probably the most fun uh, we had in the beginning uh, was that there was this uh, social tab. This was later uh, removed social tab where you could add friends using the Supercell ID. And then you could see how many stars your friends had. So it became this kind of grinding for stars to be at the top of the list, uh, which also I know converted some of my coworkers to, to get more energy so that they could 
you know, beat and get to the top of the list. So um, that was very fun. Um, I guess we're coming to improvement suggestions later. Uh, other things, I, I do believe that it was something, for me at least, it felt like a fresh, new type of gameplay compared to other games that I had been playing. Um, and uh, yeah, I already mentioned, you know, being able to build strategies with equipping the, the the characters in a good way. What I do think went well here, which I um, admire Supercell for here, is the the excellence in communication with players mm-hmm. here, both in you know, as I mentioned, uh, managing expectations, being open about the status of this game. It's in it's in beta. Um, when they created these captain's logs saying these are the things that we're focusing on now, these are the changes that will come, we've listened to your feedback. Um, They did a lot of balancing changes and lots of updates to like quality of life, um, listening to feedback, and uh, especially when they reset, uh, reset the progression, you know, I don't know, I don't know how many stars 600 stars or 700 or something like that and then you open the game and it says hey as part of uh, as part of uh, our, our beta we've now reset the the progression um, thank you for playing and we have given you uh, all the purchases uh, worth in gems plus 100 gems I think for each star so they were quite generous um, when they did this so it probably helped with players feeling no angry because of getting their um, progression reset. So I think that just watching how they uh, treated players, also now announcing we're stopping the development. Um, if you did any purchase, you can transfer it to to other live games. I had this very you know wholesome conversation with the goblin bot, um, transferring my <laughs> worth of of gems to yeah, um to to brawl stars i, I so. hear that a lot of interactions with ai generally <laughs> that it can go bad pretty quickly that you can yeah you can, can train you can train an ai to say cancelable things quite easily is what the internet has told me yeah no this was a surprisingly uh i don't know if it's just because of the goblin or i don't know but it, it worked really well and in, in it's just, because the game yeah, wasn't live valued, in the United States yet, so it hadn't been <laughs> Goblin Bot hadn't been exposed to horrible people yet. Just just oh, polite yeah. Nordic people. Yeah, could could be. Um, Javier, yeah. what about? Do you have anything yeah, to what add about you for, for what, what worked well? well? What went well? I think that the game provides probably among the puzzle category. It's one, if not the one that provides the mo- or can provide the most complexity in the in the level or board stage like it can really get extremely complex no in the sense that you have disability these uh, characters very limit uh, a very limited amount of, of movements that, that that you can dynamically consume because depending on the tap that you do on there you consume more units so you get closer to the end of but you also the more units you consume the more uh, damage you do so there's like that math plus the math of the uh, orthogonal behaviors plus the math of the passives that you can trigger through the rune system the usage of the boost so in terms of 
level complexity, I, I think it can generate moments that even I, I as a player, which I'm somewhat hardcoreish, I can um, I would probably not be able to manage. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that that is that is incredible. Um, it's a really good achievement. Um, but then again, uh, again for us it's very easy, you know, with insights to 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 evaluate it, that right, and say, oh, this went good and this went didn't. Maybe they could have uh, before the launch. They probably spotted an opportunity of creating or providing such a depth um, in in terms of, of gameplay um, that I think it's an achievement. Sadly, the market didn't resonate. There was no water on that pool, on that mm -hmm. swimming pool. Or if there is water, it's already cannibalized by other titles. And um, so what about uh, areas for improvement? You know, if you had been, um, let's say you were uh, in some other branch of Supercell and they'd said, hey, Javier Annette, uh, we're just, you know, we're hitting our heads against the wall here on this Clash Quest, play it. Let us know what you think you would change or fix um, if you had six months of development time on this game. What what would you change or improve, either new features or retooling of existing features to try I, I, and? Um, I think that is super hit, a super trap question because <laughs> because and it's super unfair. It's a very unfair question because we do have information that mm. they did not have. Right, because we live in the future, right? right? Uh, so it's like right. I, I cannot answer that question because it would be the equivalent of me from the future coming in and telling me like, hey, by the way, if you do this, <laughs> it's gonna happen this thing. You know, in Spain, in Spanish, we had this saying that goes like, after the bull has has gone through, everybody is a bullfighter. Um, right. And it's a, it's, it's it's really tricky, you know, in, in that regard. Uh, yeah. In my opinion, because. I haven't been in that situation, on that specific situation, but I've been in a situation where we release a prototype, trying to work in the supercell way, so trying to achieve, and then you do iterations and mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't achieve uh, KPI improvements and so on. And perhaps in that regard, what, what I think is like, they, they did a lot of, uh, um, they, they released clans, they released uh, a lot of improvements on the strategy, and they were not able to move very basic KPIs, like the retention, and by basic, I mean by very yeah. core. Probably, I mean, maybe if, if, if I examine the entire thing, what I see is that they iterated a lot on adding more strategic systems or more like upgrading systems and so on, probably mm -hmm. trying to increase stickiness, I, I assume, I don't know. Maybe I talk with them at one day in my yeah. life and they tell me, like, no, you were completely... But I, it kind of seems to me that they were trying to improve the stickiness by adding more upgrade depth and more strategy and things to collect, to upgrade. And, so and, sure. um, and then trying to remove them in order to see, to see if they, they were perhaps blockers for the fun. No? What I see is that they, what, what, maybe what is missing to me in the soft launch is... Uh, radical changes on the core gameplay. No, like they could have maybe added choosing units. They could have uh, improved right. the ability to manipulate the board. Perhaps adding preview of the units that were going to appear after you have completed a move. So maybe the mm -hmm. only thing 
probably there's a reason. I, I'm sure they prototyped it and it didn't make sense. And that, that's why we didn't get to see it. But um, the only thing that I'm missing is radical changes on the gameplay. Uh, probably if if mm. I had if I had been, well I don't know. But I like to think that if I if I had been there, uh, I would have tried to do some revamps on the core gameplay before taking the the final decision. But then again, I don't know because maybe after pro maybe they they prototyped the, it and the reason why they didn't go that way uh maybe I just don't know it. I don't know. That that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean for for all we know, they want to do those radical changes uh, with the new art style that attracts a different audience, right? So maybe they have Maybe the next iteration of this is more targeted at a, a, a the the maybe. audience that more I, I don't think that I don't think that that gameplay. would solve the core problem eh? because that that right. can affect. I mean, well, that that can affect retention, right? By targeting better the audience, mm -hmm. but um, my for me the concern is that to, I don't know. I, probably puzzle is not a good field for super like the way they work and so. like the way the way they have historically achieved success it's it's not the it's not what puzzle needs and like historically mm. supercell mm -hmm. has achieved success when going for blue oceans right like uh um clash of clans they they mm -hmm. took the gameplay from backyard monsters understood what worked and brought it to mobile because backyard monsters were not a mobile boom billion dollars um if you think about clash royale it's a very it's a diff game that is very difficult to define because it's like a blend of multiple genres it's it's really unique and there was nothing e or a, nothing easily recallable as uh similar in the same platform there were things like in starcraft there's a game mode that is somewhat similar but, but uh a mod sorry that is somewhat similar but in mobile they it was unique and if you even if you think on brawl stars it's kind of the same thing right like it's we classify it as a MOBA. that, that game is not a MOBA. it's a top-down shooter and it's super unique yeah i would thing. i would actually say that clash royale is a single screen moba and brawl stars is a battle royale but even then those are super alien descriptions what this means is that these games were released and there had nothing similar around them and yeah and or in with Heyday, they revolutionized a field that was very or a genre that at the time was very stagnant because when Heyday made yeah. it big the previous game on like that made it big on that genre was like what Farmville uh, so it was a genre mm -hmm. that was but I don't think that is the case on Puzzle Puzzle is a super red ocean right and um it's a it's a super red ocean. It's an, an ocean where there is constant innovation. The genre is not stagnant. It's probably one of the uh, market spaces that just because of the size, a lot of people goes there to die, to release a title, and they just see that yeah. they cannot scale because <laughs> it's it's already super galvanized. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't think that Supercell has been good um, as at going a genre, to a genre and then understanding that genre more, better than people. It's more like Supercell is good at creating genres or targeting genres that nobody else yeah. is targeting. And then... Would you... Uh, does, does this resonate to you? Um, Supercell's good at multiplayer. 
Like, their key strength is social multiplayer interactions, and this game doesn't sound like it had that at all. I don't, I don't know, that because that's a very broad definition of... So, right. you know, with definition, the definition that you... It's so umbrella that you can put Clash Royale or Brawl Stars right. and uh, Hey They there, right? Like Because both of them yeah, have a hey social I'm component. The order What system. I would say is that clearly right. they have a strong... Um, branch of with multiplier and so on and they have developed expertise and brand name that makes it easier mm. for them to iterate on those categories on categories that involve pvp uh, or mid-core audiences but they are historically they have also been successful with things like heyday which mm -hmm. is a different thing i think that they if, if i had to say what is they have in common is that they have introduced new genres or they have to the platform yeah. to the mobile platform and and they have created things that now we take for granted or the spaces that now we take for granted they have been t able to target it when nobody else was looking at it and yeah. i think that it, right. so that means that probably they are less uh, specialized in things like hyper specialized ua and the sort of thing that you need in order to Uh, scale a game and launch a game in a very red market, right? If we think in puzzle, mm -hmm. the latest breakout hits, Royal Match and uh, Call of Antia, these are games that have they have not broken any rules. They have understood very well the rules that already existed in the space, yeah. and they are trying to scale. Uh, uh, they are, uh, have achieved success by trying to fulfill those rules better than the competition. But they are not in. Yeah. Royal Match is not a game where the innovation or the core value is like, oh, they're doing this thing that is very sure, like it's it's faster. But the key thing, in my opinion, with Royal Match is that um, they have understood very well the uh, rules that that yeah. drive that space. The, the the level of polish on that game is remarkable. That just every single interaction you have with the software is delightful. Every, everything you do is delightful to do, and that's what I think made Royal Match best in class. Yeah, but that, those are, um, that I would play. say, it's a linear increment, not a paradigmatic innovation, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's just, it's hard to do. It's It, it looks easy <laughs> when you play it, and then it's hard to do as a, as a developer. Um, and that, I, I did, how I about did, you? yeah, I did, areas uh, for improvement? yeah, I did. Yeah, I did miss um, elements in, you know, social features that would make some meaningful social interactions. As I mentioned, it was, you know, the, in the beginning where, you know, competing with my friends about getting the most stars. But of course, with more and more people joined and I found myself being the only one <laughs> left right. playing, uh, that kind of um, didn't didn't drive any motivation there. But some kind of social interaction with friends, either if it would be some kind of sending gifts or trading something or even collaborating. They did release the clans at some point. And I have been in a plan. I think there was there was a lot of um, improvement areas in making a better clan experience all the way from finding a clan. Um, there was this list where you could see clans that were open, but it only had one member. So I searched for something. I think I searched for Norway. And then I found a clan that was called Norway. So I joined that one. And it worked so that um, you had a, 
kind of a map with uh, a boss and some um, some levels, and you would collaborate on doing dealing the most damage. But you only had one turn per day, so uh, there was a clan chat, and I think that there could have been some improvements there. Uh, maybe even if I could just collaborate with some friends um, on you know taking down the you know the 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 hounds or whatever they, these difficult bosses were called. Um, we mentioned a bit, even though that wasn't my kind of strongest uh, wish to give more power to the players and allowing to choose choose the characters to make perhaps gameplay more more interesting. Um, yeah, I know that the community were they were um, players were requesting PvP features and I think they also responded uh, we've heard your your feedback we want to try the clans first so um, yeah there was clearly a wish at least from community to have some kind of PvP I think that would have been interesting I don't know if it's you know, who knows if it would have been enough uh, I think Javier mentioned already it's a it's a different difficult category and um, there was also in the Reddit post where they announced that they would discontinue development. They also mentioned, you know, retention issues with retention and a problematic uh, return on on spend um, because yeah, it's it's a tough market. It's flooded with. They said it's a genre that's flooded with games that spend millions of dollars on UA. And UA is probably one of the biggest drivers of puzzle games, as puzzle games tend to be more PvE, single-player experiences. Um, so yeah, it's a uh, it's a lo- tough yeah, market. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> even, that, even that describes Supercell. all. And even with the great that, that game. That describes all of mobile free. <laughs> I would have loved to, uh, to see like the yeah. component. The problem is that the game, the, the look or the random factor is so strong in this game that I feel mm-hmm. I don't know. Competitive players hate randomness, so <laughs> that's yeah. a challenge. I'll uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll close it out with this this question because um, this has been a great interview, and 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 I, uh, if you've enjoyed it, uh, check out the blog piece, uh, read in full. Uh, these three have done uh, Javier, Annette, and Laura, who's not on the interview uh, today, have done a great job uh, and created a great kind of unofficial post mortem of Clash Quest, but um. Uh, thinking about going back to Supercell's development model, um, I'll ask each of you if you had the choice between joining the leading the team for six months of whatever development changes you think are right versus taking those same people for six months and building a brand new, getting a brand new game to uh, soft launch, to prototype phase. Which of those two paths would you choose? I, would, I, I think. Uh, I would talk with the team and see what they are feeling and what they do they want to do. No, if you were the dictator, be Ethan for a moment. <laughs> Pretend you're not a friendly person, but a friendly seeming person who's a giant ass. For me, eh? because, because I, 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 I usually don't, don't do the, I, I don't, do the, don't do the dictator. I more like the way I think is that. Um, I like replicating horizontal structures. So I like that. 
like if if the game fails or or the team fails, even a team inside the game, it's the entire team that that yeah. uh, takes the responsibility for both the success or the not success. So, yeah. but but anyway, uh, answering your question, um, I, I like I said, I think that the puzzle category is is not very suited to the strength of the mo of the par uh, game development paradigm of uh, Supercell. Yeah. So for me, it will be challenging. It's just that, I don't know, maybe I just like vision. So I'm putting a, uh, saying something pre-paradigmatic and then somebody came in and puzzle and revolutionized it. But what I see is that it's a genre that is super galvanized. UA, the, the UA dynamics have galvanized a lot and limited a lot what kind of titles you can scale and how. Mm -hmm. And and I, I think it's not a suitable target for um, the strengths of, of Supercell and their model. Okay. And Annette, how about you? Yeah, even though I would love to keep playing this game, seeing new, new uh, side quests and, and all of the, the fun stuff, um, Knowing, uh, you know, what we know about Supercell's models with tr trusting the team, teams, I would make a new game um, and trust the decision that the team has made here um, with doing the changes that they did, um, especially also with the latest one with the, kind of the big pivot where they changed the progression system and, um, yeah, the, the, the quests and, and all of that. So yeah, new game. Um, also knowing how difficult it is to kill a game um, that you work on, and they they still made that decision. So I put my trust in that, and uh, yeah, we'll keep my uh, you know memories of the game with me. Uh, play some other games. Okay. Yeah, it was a fun ride. Well, uh, <laughs> Javier, Annette, and uh, Laura, thank you so much for writing this postmortem. Thank you to the two of you for coming on the show and, and educating everybody who didn't get a chance to play about Clash Quest. And just, uh, I want to end with uh, applauding everyone at Supercell involved in this, uh, celebrating their attempt, celebrating the kill, right? It's not, yeah. it is... Uh, <laughs> Uh, not an easy thing to get a game to public, to put it in players' hands, to iterate on it and, and uh, uh, interact with the community for 16 months and try big things within it. And, and uh, all those things are accomplishments to be celebrated. And, and even though um, it didn't achieve its business goals, I think everyone who worked on this should be uh, proud of what they did. Yeah. And uh, with that positive note, very un-Ethan-like positive note, if you know me in my personal life... <laughs> Uh, I thank you all for listening and uh, uh, see you on the next one. See ya. Bye.